Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Faith Bryan. Data is incredibly valuable for solving COVID-19, and the scientific research community has been sharing data and technology like never before. At the forefront of pandemic response efforts is the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, or NIAD. As part of the National Institutes of Health, its mission is to conduct and support research to understand, treat, and prevent infectious, immunological, and allergic diseases. Along with its focus on widespread disease outbreaks, NIAID is currently deploying collaborative tech solutions for COVID-19 researchers. Today, I speak with Mike Tartakovsky, the CIO and Director of the Office of Cyber Infrastructure and Computational Biology at NIAID, to learn more about this work. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi, Faith. Glad to be here. For almost 20 years, you've served as the Chief Information Officer and the Director of the Office of Cyber Infrastructure and Computational Biology at NIAID. Could you describe what your role involves for our listeners and how it fits into your agency's mission? Sure, we'll be glad to. Yes, as you notice, it's a little bit less than 20. It's going to be 17 years this coming fall, and it's been quite a ride since 2003. Many things changed since then, but I can very simply define the role of the CIO, the role of the office, and the role that our organization has. I usually define as a three pillars mission. It's to provide our community with technology to advance, enable, and support scientific research enterprise. And some of these concepts are common to many technology organizations. Some of them are very specific to my office of the cyber infrastructure and computation biology. Virtually every technology organization has a mission to support their user community. And that's usually being achieved through the implementation of the standard IT means, making sure that networks are working, that storage is up and running, help desk is addressing the issues. When we start talking about enablement of the scientific research enterprise, I'm talking primarily about the development and hosting the software solutions that allow research enterprise to function. And advancement is inserting yourself to solve the mission problems. The mission of the NIAID is scientific research, and I am very proud that our organization is directly advancing that mission, working with the scientists, doing the data analysis, and publishing in the scientific body of knowledge. Great. And I guess extending that question just a little bit, how does your work impact your average citizen? Well, it's a very easy question to answer. Maybe not directly the work of our office impact, directly impact the citizens. However, work of the Institute is very impactful. Our Institute is the Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and we're talking right now in the middle of the global pandemic of the COVID-19. The mission of our organization is to contribute to the body knowledge and uh, help to develop the new vaccine, new therapeutics to maintain the health of the public. Gotcha. With the COVID-19 pandemic, can you briefly detail how your office is currently supporting biomedical research and response efforts at this time? 
So NIH is uh, the only institute at the NIH that has a mission not only to advance the scientific research, not only to perform medical research, but also has a mission to respond for the outbreaks and pandemics anywhere in the globe that threaten the health and the well-being of the United States. Because of this dual mandate, we continually work to expand our international collaboration infrastructure and our relationships with the research organizations around the world, as well as across the United States. We work very closely with the Internet2, the United States National Research and Education Network, and the Academic Identity Trust Federation are called INCOMMON. With these collaborations, they allow us to build working relationships with the identity and research networking staff at many of the most important research universities. Why it's so important? Because it allows us to quickly deploy collaborative solutions to the communities. And that's extremely important these days during the pandemic when people need to collaborate, where the desire of sharing you know, the knowledge is higher than I ever seen in my life. Wow. Yeah, I mean, collaboration seems like it's a major theme across government right now, especially for health agencies. What are the main challenges for improving researcher collaboration in this space? There are a lot of challenges in the improvement of the research collaborations. Many of them are superficial, if you want, but there are some challenges to the sometimes regulatory challenges to sharing the data, and that's very difficult barrier to overcome. However, again, many, many organizations go through data sharing protocols to avoid those challenges. I can give you some of the examples that we build at the NIAID. So one of the things that I'm actually very proud of, it's already deployed and continue to being developed. It's, we call it Human Genome Repository for the COVID-19 researchers. Short, we call it AG Repo. This system makes large quantities of clinical and assay data easily accessible and searchable for COVID-19 researchers and also enables synergistic analysis and collaboration in a scalable manner. And this is an international effort that includes more than 12 different labs and the researchers contributing their unique expertise to collectively elucidate the genetics of innate and adaptive immune system responses to COVID-19 infection. I guess on a similar note, what are some other solutions the agency is looking at to enhance its digital services for researchers? You had mentioned the genetics program that you had recently stood up, but are there other platforms? Oh, there are many platforms that NIAID is providing to the NIH-funded scientists. I always like to mention that NIH is the biggest funder of the biomedical research in the world, about 80%. NIH budget is actually returned to the states in the form of grants and contracts. And the researchers in the local universities do the research supported by the NIH. So digital services are provided to many NIH-funded scientists. I can name you a few. First and foremost, probably I would like to mention the bioinformatic resource centers that make available analytical resources, bioinformatic tools, workspaces, and services for data analysis. They also store, update, integrate, and display the different types of data and associated metadata, such as genome sequence, annotation, functional genomics, proteomics, metagenomics, etc. So a lot of data available for the scientists across the world. 
I also would like to mention the Tuberculosis Portals Initiative, which is a multinational collaboration for sharing tuberculosis data for advancement in research. The mission of that tuberculosis portals program, and that administered directly out of my office, is to use biomedical data science techniques to gather and generate multi-domain data into a multinational data commons that enables in silica studies of tuberculosis cases by global community. This is a very unique enterprise because this is, for the best of my knowledge, is the only resource that combines together clinical, genomical, genomic, and radiomic data in one resource, all interconnected uh, together. That's incredible. Thank you. How is the agency exactly approaching what data they want to move to portals like this? So there is a lot of pressure if you want to put as much data into the public repositories. But at the same time, I don't think I'm the best person to answer this question for you. I'm always positioning myself. I am a steward of your data. I am not the owner of the data. So if the data owner basically saying, yes, I would like to share that, we'll be happy to, from the technology perspective, come up with a mechanism for sharing. How is the agency approaching the security of data and protecting what may be considered sensitive information? And what about like cloud technology and services that are really vital in this access to data and securing those? Everything that we're doing these days need to be weighted from the security perspective. NIID and NIH are federal institutions, so we are governed by the Federal Information Security Management Act, FISMA, and we have to follow the National Institute of Standards and Technology Guidance for Information Security. So NIST prescribes standards for various levels of sensitive information based on the expected impact of what happens if that information goes to the wrong people or is altered in an authorized way. So we use this guidance to apply controls, assess risks, mitigate risks through the formal program that we call the risk management framework. These controls cover everything from how users are allowed to access the system, what information they can access within the system, how, when, and where to use the encryption. Well, today is everywhere. <laughs> they use an encryption both at rest and in transit. Okay, what level of auditing is required by the systems and what capability of security boundaries we need to employ. So that's in a nutshell what we are doing. Security comes first and we really paying a serious attention to making sure that the people who are participating in the NIH research have their personal information well. Could you tell us about work being done around digital identity and user authentication methods so that the right people have secure access to certain data? Oh, that's an excellent question, you know, and that's one (laughs) of my favorite topics (laughs) that I can speak for hours about. (laughs) So NIST also provides us with the standards for handling digital identity and user identification. When a system is internal to a single government agency, these standards are fairly straightforward okay, to implement. When you add non-government identities to a system, it becomes somewhat complicated. However, if you need to add researchers outside of the United States, it becomes even more complicated. These processes can take weeks or months sometimes for a scientist at our campus in Bethesda to get an authorizations, but almost impossible to implement at uh, global distances. 
For many NIZ research projects, however, we need to provision a collaboration between hundreds of scientists, technicians, administrations, statisticians, you name it, in multiple countries at multiple institutions. So we designed a solution for this kind of international collaboration, leveraging the trusted relationships such as those offers by members of InCommon and the global partners. We are big users of the federated identity and authentication model, which allows, for example, a registered researcher from a participating educational institution to use their own institutional account identity to log into our system. This allows us to have a high degree of confidence in the identity of the user while relieving us of the burden of maintaining separate user logins for our collaborative partners. Or for that matter, on the other side, for our partners, they don't have to establish yet another set of login credentials and remember what set of credentials they need to log in into that particular system. The question, of course, then becomes, how do I know a person is trusted to register their identity with our platform in the first place? So here where we work with our researchers who professionally and personally know their colleagues from years of collaboration, these professional networks form another trust framework. When a need arises, they reach out to their trusted counterparts with whom they already have established relationships. In our system, existing identities already exist for every investigator who has a current NIH grant. These federated members have also been trusted with login credentials by their respective academic or scientific institutions, which means they already have professional standards. To make the long story short, no user can simply go to our platform and request registration. It is by invitation only. That sounds pretty secure. Trying. Can you actually expand upon the importance of trust and collaboration in these efforts? Yes, because again, it's a vast ecosystem of researchers and staff at science institutions who work together on both pathogen response and basic research. Single researcher manuscripts and research programs these days are extremely rare. However, virtual research communities are increasing, you know, and they include a wide range of capabilities, such as biologists, clinicians, technicians, computational biologists, bioinformaticians, statisticians, many, many others. At the same time, the pace of the research has increased. Technology providers must become more agile to deliver needed capability at the pace that is driven by the researchers. So again, as I said, it's absolutely critical to improve the trust and collaboration in uh, these areas. Going back to NIAID's mission, could you tell us more about some of the interagency efforts within NIH, HHS, and across the federal government? Absolutely. So we are the part of the NIH and HHS, and therefore we're doing a lot of work together. It's a different level of the collaboration depending on the area of expertise and mission of each and every agency here, every element here. So with the department and other agencies of the federal government, we work very closely on the security these days, especially on the security of the clinical trials for the coronavirus vaccine that are being conducted as we speak. 
We started a big project at NIH, and that's a collaboration of all the incident centers. I have a pleasure to co-chair a technology subgroup for the what we call NIH Project 5, which is a clinical data hub where we're trying to build a technology solution very quickly to enable that global collaboration for the COVID-19 researchers. We work very closely and again continue on the topic of the COVID-19 very quickly and very closely with the Food and Drug Administration and Veterans Healthcare Administration as well as with the nonprofit called America Makes to very quickly to develop a special collection to support COVID-19 supply chain response. NIID developed a special website which calls for free uh, to share the blueprints for the three-dimensional printing and operating it on behalf of the NIH. When the COVID-19 created the problems with the supply chain, we worked very closely with the partners and FDA, Veterans Healthcare and America Makes to create a special collection to address these shortages of the equipment. They say, okay, what we can do with the people who have three-dimensional printers and how they can be in the systems. I just give you some numbers here. We published about 585 designs in total of the different models, nasal swabs, face masks. The website that we have usually attracts about 17 to 20,000 visitors every month. The first month we published that special collection, we got a record 317,000 people, increase of over 1,700%. So these are examples of the collaboration that we have with the other agencies. Taking into account you know, the current pandemic, how is the agency doing in terms of finding top talent and the cross-disciplinary knowledge it needs at this time? So that's a difficult issue. Finding top talent is all this a challenge. It's even bigger challenge these days. In many cases, we are relying on our partners from private sector to find those talent, and they're doing an excellent job supporting our research. I think our main recruiting tool these days is the mission of the organization. It's always been a noble mission, but it's even more, I think, noble these days, and it attracts a lot of people with a very good skills who are trying to contribute as much as they can to the mission of the organization. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people are wanting to help out during this time, especially. Lastly, closing this interview off with a broad question, where do you see technology and research at the agency really advancing? That's a very difficult question to answer because I don't have a crystal ball, but I've been doing it for a long time, as you mentioned at the <laughs> beginning. So if uh, past is an indicator of what to expect in the future, I can tell you that we were lucky back in the early 2000s when we basically start uh, seeing that everything in the science becoming increasingly computational. This is continue to be true these days. The research is increasingly computation to the point that we actually now saying that the computation is a laboratory tool. And therefore, we need to change the way how technology is being provided to our scientists. The other thing that is important to understand going into the future that we are transitioning from the information to analytics age. 
What does that mean? We need to gain more value from the collected data. Is that a problem? Um, yeah, we need to change how we look at the information technology in science. It's all now about data. No conversation of the future is completed without talking about the artificial intelligence and machine learning. Even this is probably a few years away from the prime time. We continue our effort in that space. So all about data, all about knowledge, we kind of entering the fourth paradigm. Everything is about data science now. Yeah, I think that all of the data that's being collected right now, it has to be analyzed somehow and collected. But if there are platforms that can share all of this data and all of the progress being made, I'm sure that we could accelerate research even more. It's a challenging topic, Dave. Okay, so we always like to talk about the FAIR principles, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reproducible. And findability, accessibility, and reproducibility of the data is, while not trivial tasks, are kind of easiest solvable tasks on the technology level. When we come to the issues of the interoperability, that's not that easy. The data is still being collected on the different research sites, not necessarily following the same standard, which makes it very difficult to interoperate or we need to spend a lot of time and money converting that data to the same standard, which requires a lot of transformation processes that need to be done. So many repositories are already been built for this and the work is continuing on those. But again, the future, I believe, is in implementing machine learning, deep learning techniques and apply them to the data. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Bryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.